Welcome, everyone, to the First Presbyterian Church podcast. We are First Presbyterian in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and we are glad that you are here listening with us, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, We hope that your day will be blessed, and may the peace of Christ be with you. takes us this morning. Well, friends, it is July, and in addition to being the time when Americans think about their summer vacations, it's also the time in many states around our nation where newly enacted laws from state legislatures go into effect. And it's the time of year when citizens like you and me sit back in amazement and shake our heads and wonder how it is that we elected these bozos to represent us in the first place. For instance, despite the fact that Kentucky is going to be the home of one of the largest electric car battery manufacturing plants in the nation, and it's going to bring hundreds of jobs and tens of millions of dollars of investment to the Commonwealth, a newly enacted law on July 1st now prohibits the installation of free electric car chargers anywhere in the state, unless the business or entity provides the state with an accounting of all the free electricity they give away, and the owner of the free electric charging station now has to pay sales tax on the free electricity. Truly, our General Assembly knows just how to bite the hand that feeds it. And I'm grateful to see that your car charger got in before the July 1 date. It is grandfathered. None of that applies. And I thank you, my pocketbook thanks you, because my electric car is plugged in to your electric car charger. Lest you think it's never going to be used, today may be the first time, and uh, I look forward to coming and uh, sharing that with you again. But at least our legislators here in Kentucky aren't quite as crazy as in North Carolina. There's one state legislator who wants to fund up to $50,000 per free electric car charging station to have them ripped out of the ground and to further make it illegal for anyone to give away free electricity to a car. Well, I could no doubt pick many other boneheaded laws, but perhaps the granddaddy of the stupid laws that legislators enact goes back almost 15 years when Michael Bloomberg was the mayor of New York City. He announced what is now an infamous plan. He planned to ban the sale of supersized sugary beverages larger than 16 ounces. Do you you remember that? He believed sugary sodas banned would... Uh, be a step to reducing the rate of obesity in its fair city and improve overall health. And the ban would apply to both bottled soda and fountain drinks that contain more than 25 calories per 8 ounces. That means that the city's 20,000 restaurants, coffee shops, food carts, movie theaters, and stadiums would no longer be able to sell empty calories in supersized portions. Ultimately, however, the New York State Supreme Court struck down the mayor's plan, calling it arbitrary and capricious, but not before Bloomberg's big gulp ban plan became a punchline 
for the late night talk shows, and Bloomberg himself became the object of ridicule. Mayor Bloomberg identified a problem. He had a strong conviction about how to solve it, and he believed that he had the authority to make his opinion law. He may have been right about the problem, and his proposed solution might have made a difference. But this morning, I want you to reflect just a few minutes on the following proposition. Just because you're correct, and just because you're in, in authority, that doesn't mean that you are going to get your own way, or even that you always should. And believe it or not, this story about Michael Bloomberg and our legislators leads us into our New Testament lesson for today. Unimaginable as it is in the year of our Lord 2022, a great ethical debate in 61 AD when 1 Corinthians was written went like this. Most meat for sale in butcher shops in the Roman world was from animals that had been ritually sacrificed to a pagan temple or another. And if you got invited to an upscale dinner, the lamb or the chicken or the beef was likely to have been butchered in the presence of a host of the host's favorite household gods. So the big moral question was this. If you're a Christian, should you eat this ungodly meat as you are participating indirectly in the worship of other gods? Are you condoning idolatry? Can a Christian eat heathen sacrifices and remain in good standing with Jesus? Well, this is not exactly a burning issue for Christians in our century, but it was in the first. But bear with me for a minute. Paul's answer to the Corinthian church, which seems to have written to Paul for his guidance on the matter, comes in two parts. The first part is in verses 4 to 6, and it goes like this. There is but one God, Paul says. Idols aren't real. They have no power, no spiritual existence. So the fact that meat has been sacrificed to some non-existent little g-god doesn't matter in the least. It's not what goes into the body that matters. It's what comes out of it. Most of the Christians in Corinth understood this, and they rightly understood that they had no moral or spiritual issue here. But beginning with verse 7 and following, Paul turns the tables. But not all possess this knowledge, says Paul. Some of you Corinthians are fresh from a life of paganism. You struggle with your old life and your old value systems, and you have sharp memories of animal sacrifice and feasts that followed. These people, people you should care about, are deeply troubled, tempted, confused by the eating of such meat. They'd be troubled if they did it themselves, and they're upset when you do it in their presence. And this may be irrational, but weak is the adjective that Paul uses. There is no use telling them it's nonsense. You, should, you, stop, you shouldn't bother trying. They can't help it. So you mean to say the strong meat eaters of Corinth reply, Paul, you mean to say that I should set aside my freedom to enjoy my lamb chop at my nice dinner just because somebody else's conscience is making a moral mountain out of a molehill? And Paul's answer, believe it or not, is yes. Yes. Christians should set aside their freedom if exercising it troubles people that you care about. You're 100% scientifically, morally, ethically, spiritually correct. Whether you eat pagan meat doesn't matter one little bit. But the unnecessary wounding of tender faith 
The damaging of delicate relationships does matter in the church. Or as Jesus taught, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. In the same way, politicians like Mayor Bloomberg, who happen to be scientifically, ethically, morally correct, nevertheless, it was not right of him and heavy-handed way of solving a problem to set a law to ban those drinks. You see, the Apostle Paul knows something that Mayor Bloomberg apparently did not. Our knowledge about what is acceptable or unacceptable behavior ought to be interpreted by our love for the people we influence. The meat eaters in Corinth were right. It's perfectly okay to eat lamb chops that happen to have been processed at the Temple of Poseidon. They're right. Paul knew they're right. 2,000 years later, you and I, we know that they were right. The god Poseidon is a myth, not real. What was done in his temple had no lasting effect on those lamb chops. But Paul wants to make the distinction between being correct and being right. Knowledge alone, says Paul, puffs up, but love builds up. Or as Mayor Bloomberg found out, being correct about the unhealthiness of high-calorie drinks doesn't make it necessarily right to make 42-ounce 7-Eleven big gulps illegal. I said earlier that these may first seem to be the most irrelevant 13 verses of the Bible. But underneath Paul's complex answer to an outdated question, Paul offers a very profound principle that is not in the least out of date in our country and in our churches today. The principle Paul affirms in his answer to the Corinthians is this. Being correct matters. But relationships matter even more. Ideas are important, but people are even more important. Truth matters, but love matters even more. And here's the rub. Sometimes, many times, you and I may find ourselves perfectly correct about something or another. Nevertheless, the right thing to do is to hold our tongues and not say it. Because speaking that truth then and there would wound a friendship or hurt a family, or divide a church, or come off as being patronizing or condescending. Sometimes you and I may be perfectly correct in wanting to do something, but the more right thing is to stand down, to practice forbearance, because you and I are called to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. Paul wants to remind you and me that love is more important than being correct. The truth matters. But people matter even more. Relationships are so delicate. They are so easily wounded. Relationships in our workplaces, relationships in our families, relationships in our churches, even relationships between those governing and those being governed. So delicate and precious is the web of love that holds us into relationship with those around. And sometimes, for the sake of it, love says, bite your tongue before you speak the truth. Even though it be the truth, 
And sometimes love says, set aside your rights for the moment anyway, however correct you may be for the sake of relationships that are more precious than being correct. And sometimes love says, even though I have the power or the votes to force an issue, it's probably a hollow victory if in doing so others feel unheard or alienated by the decision. And sometimes love says, simply, stand down for Jesus' sake. Jacques Mertin once said, Christianity has taught us that love is worth more than intelligence. Here, I've said it here in First Presbyterian Church, in a denomination that has always prided itself as being Jesus' smart, cookie, well-educated followers, a denomination that has founded more colleges and universities in this country per capita than any other group of people. Christianity has taught us that love is worth more than intelligence. So where does this leave us? I think it leaves us right here at First Presbyterian Church, right here as members of the body of Christ, right here in this place where we seek to let the light of Christ shine through us to practice daily what Paul preaches. Do you and everyone else gathered here today, do you always think alike on matters of faith or practice, beliefs and ethics, matters great and matters small? Well, how about it? the overturning of Roe versus Wade, or the ethics of the wisdom of building a wall between the U.S. and Mexico, or allowing 18-year-olds to buy assault rifles while, which are apparently are less dangerous than alcohol because you can't buy alcohol until you're 21. Or you pick it. The, the ethical issues before us are legion. On these issues many, many more, you and I and others gathered here probably are not of one mind, and we may never be. And no doubt, some of us are probably more correct in our opinions than others, but that's not the point. The point is that you and I and everyone here are children of God. We're all members of the body of Christ. And to be whole, we need each other. We gotta stay in relationship with each other. We gotta find ways to work with each other. We need to stay in relationship with each other and care for each other and support each other and work with each other and challenge each other into deeper expressions of faith. And we are to listen this morning to our brother Paul who reminds us that as important as it is being correct and having the power to get something done is, there is still something ever so much more important and that's being faithful. Don't get me wrong. Loving God rightly matters, but loving others as we love ourselves is just as fundamental. There's a difference between being correct and being right. So the eighth chapter of 1 Corinthians may not be in your top hundred chapters of the Bible, but it does bear the good news to us, God's news to us, for us and our churches and our families and our divided nation this morning. 
listen to it again. Truth matters, but even truth must be paired with loving others as we love ourselves. Ideas are important, but people are even more important. Being correct matters, but relationships matter even more because the gospel truth this day and every day is knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So may love, not knowledge, or my way, or anger, or name-calling, or demonizing, or devaluing, or destroying those with whom we disagree, continue to be the guiding force of our faith, the guiding force of our relationships, of our church, and our daily interactions with others. Instead, let us heed Paul's words, and let us live into who we really are, followers of Jesus Christ, the one who calls us to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's get to it.